Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, Luke chapter 12, and Philippians chapter 4. Once again, Mark chapter 10, Luke chapter 12, and Philippians chapter 4. I'm excited about Coffee Life. We are getting ready to open in July. Now, here's what that means. We are opening to the public. So it'll be Sunday through uh, a Friday, um, and we are, except for Saturdays, we're going to be open up six days a week. 6.30 or 6 or 6.30 in the morning so that the community can come and get coffee. There's no coffee shop anywhere around us. So here's what we need. Coffee Life Missionaries. We need you to come get coffee here. Listen, it's your choice. So it's not like I'm trying to get money from you, okay? It's your choice how much you pay, but we need missionaries to come here at 6.30, and when people are coming to get their coffee, you just want to speak the name of Jesus over everybody that walks in. Amen? Now, I've got good news. We are going to have not just coffee. We will have Thai tea boba. <laughs> now, I need to tell you, amen. <laughs> I love my little Thai tea section over here. Great job. I don't drink coffee, and I start, we're doing a coffee shop. I, can you imagine me on caffeine? <laughs> some of you walk, some of you, I see you in the lobby, and you're like this. <laughs> you know, just imagine if I drank a cup of coffee before I walked up here. Um, so, but I do do Thai tea boba. So, we're going to do... I feel a movement of the Thai tea spirit. Yes, I do. Amen. All right. So we are going to be having that. And then 1030, this is a special request. We are busting out of the seams at 1030. The NPR has been full the last couple of weeks. The overflow has been full. So we are asking 1030, would you prayerfully consider either going to the 1230 or the 830? Now, you're already shaking your head. Now, listen, that doesn't mean everybody has to go. We're just asking, maybe you perfectly consider maybe the 8.30. Now, the 8.30 is almost full, so the 12.30 might be the good service. Now, let me tell you something about 12.30. 12.30, they show up at 1.15. So if you come late, <laughs> we won't know, all right? Uh, and I, and I, I challenge them every single week. All right, we've got to get to the study. Mark 10, Luke 12, Philippians 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for your word, and I pray now in Jesus' name that you would allow your word to change our lives. And I ask God that with a subject that we are about to approach, that you would give us spiritual ears to hear, and that you would challenge our faith the same way that you challenged this rich young ruler. And I pray that none of us would walk away sad, but we'd walk away filled with faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 10. We'll start in verse 14. Don't worry, we're just reading through for context. But when Jesus saw it, he saw that the disciples were keeping the kids away. He was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 15 of Mark chapter 10, Assuredly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. He took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus is giving us a truth. He's pointing out a truth about the kingdom. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to be as utterly dependent as a child is on their parent. You've got to be just that dependent solely on the Lord Jesus Christ to get to heaven. There is no other way. And what Mark does now is he provides a story to prove and confirm this truth that Jesus has just given, that belief in Christ is the only way to heaven. Let's pick it up now, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do, listen to his question, that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. This is the rich, young ruler. This guy's got portfolio. He's got prestige. He's got power. He's got prominence. Perea is the modern-day United States of America. Let me tell you something. From the outward appearance, this guy is blessed by God. God bless America. And let me tell you something. By outward appearance, this guy is the best candidate for your daughter to marry. I mean, he's rich. He's young. And he's a ruler. He's got everything that this world has to offer. Let me tell you something. You can have everything you have to offer, the world has to offer, but he knows he's missing something. He's missing eternal life. Because deep inside, no matter what you got, you'll never have enough until Jesus Christ fills the void of your heart. There will never be enough houses. There will never be enough cars. There will never be enough money until Jesus Christ. You see, godliness with contentment is great gain. When you've got God inside of you, you have a contentment where he is fulfilled and satisfied every need. He is enough. Now, Jesus, he's been in Perea for a little while now. He's been teaching, he's been ministering there, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And Mark is going to make a huge change from the Galilee ministry to the Jerusalem ministry in just the next chapter. But remember, Jesus has been there in Perea for a little while. And this guy has been listening to him. And at the last minute, as Jesus is leaving the town, this guy comes jet-bolting out of the town, and he sees Jesus, and he drops on his knees. This guy is absolutely sincere. It's obvious that God is working on him, and he just can't let Jesus leave until he gets his answer. So he runs to Jesus, and when he sees Jesus, he goes down on his knees, and he's looking up at Jesus, and he says, I've got a question for you. I can't let you leave. Tell me, how can I have eternal life? Oh, it's a little harder to get up when you're 52. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> we may think about that for the 1230. <laughs> Shake it out a little bit. See, this guy's kneeling down looking up at Jesus. And he looks like he's got it all. He's the last person that you would think go running after Jesus. It's like when I do an altar call. And I know in my spirit there's someone wrestling in their seat. And so I will just linger a moment longer. And my prayer is, is that they'll get up out of their seat and they'll run to Jesus just like this guy did. Now when this guy is looking at Jesus, he looks up at him. Remember, he's kneeling down and he says, good teacher. Now, everyone knew in the Jewish culture that you didn't associate any human being with good. Because in the book of Genesis, when God finished the creation, he looked at it and he called it good. So the Jew believed that the only good thing could be perfect and it only good things could be associated with God alone. And so he looks at Jesus and he calls him good. Even Jesus makes it clear to the man, no one is good but one, that is God. Now I love what Jesus is doing. He's making a veiled reference to himself as the living God. He is communicating to this guy his greatest need is right in front of him. And he says, no one is good. He's providing the way to eternal life. Jesus knows why this man has come. And he says, no one is good. And let me tell you something, church. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. We've all been infected with the sin virus going all the way back to Adam. In fact, when we are born, we don't come out singing Amazing Grace. We come out singing, I'm a sinner! 
No child comes out humming. We all come out crying. It's a realization that we've entered into the world of sin. He says no one's good. And then he says something powerful. Only God is good. You see, only God is good enough to send the very best, his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, who would live the good life, he would live the perfect life, and he would take our sins upon himself, and then he would die on the cross. Truly, only God is good. And knowing the culture, this guy, it seems that he recognizes this truth because there he is calling Jesus good, knowing the culture, and there he is kneeling down on his knees. This guy's sincere. He recognizes that there's something about Jesus. He's got to be God. And Jesus confirms his deity. In fact, if you take a look there, you go with me to Mark chapter 10, you'll see it. Mark chapter 10, verse 19. You know the commandments. Jesus just met the guy. And he says, you know the commandments. Jesus just met the guy, but he knows the guy. That's why he said, no one is good. He knows why this guy is coming to him, because Jesus knows what you're thinking even now. He knows that some of you are still stuck on the fact that I'm 52 years old. In fact, after the first service, a woman walked up to me and she goes, I didn't know you were 52, but I have struggled getting up when I pray on my knees as well. And I thought, of all the things I said, that's the only thing that ministered to you. Some of you are still stuck on where you're going for lunch. Some of you are angry that I asked you to move to the 1230. I don't know what you're thinking, but guess who does? Jesus knows what you're thinking even now. Jesus knows everything. He knows everything about us, and he knows what this man so well that he knows exactly how to get this man's attention. So publicly, Jesus calls out six of the Ten Commandments. And he chose these six because these six, this man has been working on, the Bible says, since his youth. Now, let me explain what that means and the reason why Jesus is using these commandments. You see, every Jewish boy at the age of 13 years old, they have a party. It's called a bar mitzvah. And you go to this bar mitzvah, and they raise you up in a chair, and they dance you around, and they start dancing and singing and all these Jewish Hebrew songs, and it's awesome. I've been to a couple of them. And what a bar mitzvah is, is your parents throwing a party that now you are responsible for your own decisions. You're a man. 13. My mom took that seriously. 13 years old. She sent me off to Korea. Sent me to Hong Kong by myself. Smuggled Bibles into China. And when my children turned to teenagers, I sent them on a mission trip. Let me tell you why. Because they grew up in the church. And I didn't want their Jesus to be my Jesus. I wanted their Jesus to be their Jesus and to go have an experience with Jesus like my mom did with me. I wanted them to be responsible with their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this guy, he says, look, since my bar mitzvah, since I was young and I took responsibility for myself, I have purpose to obey the law. And you know what I love about Jesus? He points it out. I know you have. I know you. And I love this approach about the Lord. He's not telling him how wrong he is. He's not telling him, look, you're going to hell unless you believe in me. That's not how Jesus approaches this man. He knows this man. Now, I'm not saying that approach is bad. I have a student. Her name is Maria. She started dating an unsaved guy. She had the nerve to bring him to me. <laughs> Came to church. I warned her. Came to church. And, and I'm calling out their name, Maria and Austin, because they would be happy for me to tell you. She walks up to me and says, this is my boyfriend, Austin. I grab his hand. I shake it. I bring him closer to me. And I said, so you're the unsaved boy that is not going to have the same eternal destiny with Maria. There is no sense for you to continue this relationship because you're on your way to hell and she's on her way to heaven. And he, I truly said this. 
He looked at me. She was shocked. My wife was like, come here. (laughs) She was shocked. And let me tell you what happened. That Sunday, he gave his life to Jesus. And listen, today, he's a youth pastor in Florida. Now, you might say, do you approach everybody like that? Because I'm not ever bringing anyone to you. No, I felt led of the Spirit that he just needed to the truth. Listen, I go to San Pedro Gym. I walked up to a lady on Saturday, and I said to her, and I won't call her name, I said to her, hey, she's over, I think believe she's over like 60 years old, and I said to her, hey, I'm praying for you, and I prayed for you all day yesterday, and I want you to know that God is with you. Thank you so much. And then she starts telling me all of her life. I'm like, look, lady, I have to go. I just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you. But I didn't use the same approach because Jesus used different approaches with different people. Do you remember the Samaritan woman? You're right. The one that you're with is not your husband, and so were the other ones that weren't your husband either. She runs back to the Samaritan village. You guys got to come see the man that told me everything I've ever done. Because Jesus knows that people are different. And the way that he approached this man was so different than the way that he approached me. And the way that he approached the Samaritan woman, I'm sure, is much different than he approached you. Because he knows you. And he knows what will get your attention. And he knew that this guy was sincere. And he knew this guy really wanted to know, how can I have eternal life? We've got to be careful with the systematic approach of the gospel. Here are the four spiritual laws. Number one, you're going to hell. Number two, you need Jesus. Are you ready to get saved yet? Now, I'm not saying that the four spiritual laws are wrong or bad. I am saying that we've got to be led of the Spirit when we are going to minister the gospel to someone. Is that understood? Jesus, he's speaking and ministering to a guy, and he knows how to get his attention. Take a look at verse 21. Then Jesus, I love this, looking at him, loved him. You guys, we're not against the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I know there seems to be a great divide between the religious and the non-religious. Taking Bibles out of the school and keeping Bibles in the school. Taking prayer out of school. We've got to be careful to remember God so loved those that want to take Christianity out of the United States of America. He died for them. And our approach has got to look at what Jesus is saying here. He looked at him and he loved him. He loved him so much he's going to tell him the truth. Jesus is not pushing this guy away. He's pursuing him in a way that will reach this guy. Take a look what he says. One thing you lack. Now, if Jesus was talking to me, I don't know about you, but if he was talking about me, it wouldn't be one thing. I'm impressed. This guy only has one thing that's keeping him. If Jesus was talking to me and I was kneeling down, Jesus would look like, okay, multiple things you lack. Let's just talk about the issues that you've got. But the point that Jesus is making here is that we all lack one thing. We all lack one thing that keeps us from getting to God. And he's going to give the answer, but look how he answers this man. One thing you lack, speaking to this guy, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The Lord knew why this guy was wrestling in his seat. The Lord knew why it took him on his way out that the guy came running. The Lord knows. He knows why this guy waited so long. You see, while he was faithfully obeying the commandments, they were only the commandments of his personal preference. He was blind to the one commandment that was keeping him from eternal life. You shall have no other gods before me. Money was his idol. 
And let me tell you something about money. Money is funny. You start talking about people's money, and money is funny. Notice how there wasn't any laughter. It was kind of, (laughs) where are you going? I brought my friend. You're not going to do the whole thing, are you? I brought my friend. I told him this is a church. We don't even collect an offering. Pastor Chet, money is funny. The last time I taught on a tithing message, not at this church, I was traumatized. Traumatized. I had gone to Costco, and now I even get tremors every time I pull into the gas station at Costco. I had gone to Costco, and I'd seen a woman that I hadn't seen at church for quite some while. So I, being Chet, who I am, I think everybody likes me, I just walk right over, and I go to say, hey, how are you doing? She looks at me while she's in the car, and she goes, And she got out of the car, and I knew immediately. I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good. She got out of the car immediately. She was a very, very, very wealthy woman. She got out of the car, and she starts walking to me like this. I go, whoa, what is going on? And she goes, how dare you teach on tithing? You've got no right to my pocketbook. Sorry, I will never get gas at Costco again. (laughs) She was so loud that the Costco gas attendant came over thinking I was doing something to her. And I'm backing up, terrified, traumatized over what's happening. Now, by the grace of God, Pastor Zach was going to meet me at Costco gas. And he was going to give me keys that I had left at the church. And he was going to give me those keys. So he just so happened to come as this lady is like going off on me. And I looked at him like, help, rescue me. So let me tell you something. The last time I talked about money, money is funny. It's funny. But Jesus, he's calling this guy to surrender his life. He knows the issue that is blocking him from eternal life because he knows this man. And he speaks to this man and he says, trust in me for your future, not your finances. He looks at this man and he says, listen, God has given, the good God has given his son. You are standing in front of him. And as the way that God generously gave his son, we who believe should be generous in our giving. Some of you are upset. He did it. Well, I'm not going to Costco this week. Some of us are thinking, I can't believe you're going to do it. And all of a sudden, we take on the attitude of the rich young ruler. The man was sorrowful and walked away. I need you to see something here. And I need you to see it because it's not there. The Bible says he was sad at his word and he went away sorrow, sorrowful for he had great possessions. And what I want you to see that you can't see is that Jesus didn't run after him and apologize to him for hurting his feelings. He didn't go, whoa, I didn't know you were going to walk away. Are you upset? (laughs) Trust me, I won't go to Costco this week. Are you good? Like, I'm sorry. Did I hurt your feelings? I know I'm talking about money. I know money is funny. But listen, I'm sorry. Come on. Go, Go back on your knees. We'll do the whole, like, hey, let me help you feel good about this whole deal. Jesus doesn't run after him. He lets him walk away. Because the Lord is not going to force anyone into the kingdom. He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman. And if you've been rejected when you give the gospel to someone, Jesus understands. Because this man publicly walked away from Jesus because God has given us a free will. And each and every one of us can make a decision as to whether or not we want to be in the kingdom or not in the kingdom. Now, what's amazing is this man is sorrowful. He's really sad. But he's not repentant. Take a look, if you would, at the screen. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 through 11. Now, I rejoice not that you were made sorry. Now, let me fill you in. 
Paul has written a very challenging letter called 1 Corinthians. Now this is the second letter, and he's saying, look, I know it made you sad. I know it did, but I want you to see what it produced. Take a look. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. So I'm not happy that you were sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, we'll get back to in just a moment. What Paul is saying is there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and there's a worldly sorrow. Let me tell you what worldly sorrow is. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I lost. I'm sorry that I can't do what you're asking me to do. That's the sorrow from the world. Sorry I got caught. Sorry I can't take this loss. But a Godly sorrow he begins to define. Take a look at this. For observe this very thing. Now he's going to describe what godly sorrow looks like. He says, what diligence it produced in you. I'll do anything to do it the way God wants me to. What diligence? He says this. What clearing of yourselves. This is Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a... Yeah, okay. Remember Zacchaeus? Little guy went up in a sycamore tree... And Jesus said, listen, I forgive you. He responds and says, I'll give four times as much. He was truly repentant. Take a look at the next. What indignation. In other words, I can't believe I sinned against God. How could I ever do it? And he goes on to say, what indignation, what fear. I want to respect the Lord at all costs. What vehement desire, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. What zeal, what vindication. I'm going to make my life right with God no matter how I feel about it. That's godly sorrow. This guy is not repentant. He's sorrowful but he's not repentant. Take a look at Mark chapter 10, verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. I need to remind you that we will go to Starbucks and not think for a moment about a $5.50 drink. I don't know if you know this, but in most of the world, people can live off of $5.50 for a month. So before we go into this text and think, oh, we're not rich, could we stop for just a moment and allow this scripture to even minister to us in the great United States of America? Let's take a look. And the disciples were astonished at his words. They were shocked. They couldn't believe what Jesus just said. But Jesus answered again and said to him, children, How hard it is, so he's going to help him understand, for those who, look at it, trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? You see, Jesus has asked the man to trust in him for his future, not his finances. But the man was choosing to trust in his riches. He believed that those riches provided his security. He believed that those riches supplied his comfort and his happiness. He had to have another dollar. So Jesus tells a story. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Let's see this story that Jesus communicates in Luke's gospel chapter 12. Luke's gospel chapter 12. I'm going to pick it up there in verse 13. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story to deal with this very issue of trusting in our riches. Luke 12, 13, then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want to get. Isn't that the human being's condition? I want to get. I don't want to give. I want to get. So Jesus, tell my brother so I can get what belongs to me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said this to him. Take heed. Beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, 
Do we possess our possessions or do they possess us? Do we possess our possessions or do they possess us? So Jesus, what he does is he tells us a story. Take a look. Verse 16. Then he spoke this parable. He gave him a story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Now what he's saying is, for him to say that the ground yielded, in other words, it was God that made the man wealthy. So God chose to bless this man and make him wealthy. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, uh, build, build, excuse me, build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul. You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So God blesses this guy. He's able to go to Starbucks and buy his $5 drink. The guy is blessed by God, and the man responds with selfishness. I'm going to take care of me. And so bigger is better. And so I'm not going to share anything I've got. I'm going to store it all for myself. We have an entire industry in the United States of America called public storage. It relies on our ability to know that we will buy stuff, stuff we will never use, and stuff your children will throw away when you go home to be with the Lord. It's amazing. It is amazing. Listen carefully. Stuff. This guy says, I'm going I'm to invest into public storage. He's so selfish. This guy is so selfish. He has no one to talk to. He says, soul, I've made a decision to myself. He's got no family. He's got no friends. This would be like me looking in the mirror and going, Chet, you are good looking. And then me responding, you are, Chet. I I don't do that. But my point is, (laughs) okay, bad illustration. All right, listen. My point is this guy's so selfish, he's got no friends. And he believed that his wealth would bring him security, comfort, and happiness. Eat, drink, be merry, he says. Take a look at the perspective of heaven. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool. Whoa. I'm going to say it again. And maybe you circle the but God. But God. So Jesus gives the perspective of heaven. He says, fool. This night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have provided? You don't even have friends to give them to. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, I'm not going to Costco this week, but I am going to talk to you about what Jesus said. I'm not going to go. Listen, carefully, I've been traumatized. This is the message that I taught. And the truth of this is, now I need to let you know, the guys that are leaving are not mad at me. They are getting ready for communion. I love Steve. (laughs) All the guys are like, picking up, I'm out of here. They are not the rich young ruler. They love me. Trust me. Perfect timing, Steve. I love you. So here's what this guy's saying. Here's what the heaven perspective is. Anyone who is selfish and greedy with the blessing of God is a fool from heaven's perspective. Whoa! You see, Jesus is not asking a question when he says, whose will your things be given to? He's making a statement that because you were choosing not to be generous, I will be generous for you when you go. Paul understood this. He understood that being rich towards God is choosing to give to the kingdom. That's what he says. So is he who lays up treasure for himself. In other words, if you won't give, God's going to give for you. And he describes this generous giving as giving to God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. You'll see the point clear. Philippians chapter 4. Paul is commending the church, much like we do with you every Sunday, because you're a generous church. Now take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. I would write this letter to you. Look, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. You shared. He's not asking for all. He says you shared. Now you uh, Philippians know that also in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. 
Not that I seek the gift. Look at this. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. Now you know what amen means. Amen means when you meet me at Costco, you like me. (laughs) Amen means I agree. Because here's what Paul is saying. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And I wonder, let's just say that what you send ahead is your mortgage for where you're going to live in heaven. And I wonder if some of us, when we get to heaven, when we go to pull from our heavenly bank account, will we be living in the hood? Now, I don't know if heaven's got a hood. But I wonder how much bank you got in your heavenly bank account as to what you have been generous to give to the Lord. Go back with me to Mark's gospel. Go back with me to Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 10. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In other words, the biggest animal going through the smallest thing. That's how difficult it is if you trust in riches. So the guys are greatly astonished, and they're saying, who then can be saved? Jesus gets to the point in verse 27. He says this, Jesus looked at them and said, Aha, with men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. I need to let you know a theology of the first century Jew. They believed that if you were blessed financially, if you were wealthy, that you were blessed of God and that you were on your way to heaven. Sounds like the faith movement today. Sounds like the faith movement today. If you were sick, you were not blessed of God. So you really need it. So when Jesus reached out to the leper and touched him, don't touch that sinner. That was their theology. That's what they believed. So for Jesus to turn their theology upside down and say that it's harder for someone who trusts in their riches to get to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, they're shocked. That's why the Bible, Mark reports, they were astonished. If this guy can't be saved... Who can be? And Jesus goes, now you're getting it. It's impossible. There is nothing that you can do to get to heaven. But what's impossible with you, God has made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. God did this. Would you take a look? It's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This guy thought to himself, I've done it. I've been good. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. There's only one that's good, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the law this guy needed to learn was only given to point us to the fact that we need a Savior, to remind us that none of us are good. Well, Peter hears this, and Peter is all excited. Would you take a look? We're going to pick it up there in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 28. Listen to what Peter says. Then Peter began to say to him, in other words, he was interrupted again. He began to say, see, We've left all and followed you. And I'm sure his chest was out like this. Jesus, we did it. You said that that rich guy, he had to give everything, and we did it. We did one right, Jesus. We've left everything, and we followed after you. But Matthew does us a favor. Matthew reveals why Peter said this. Take a look. Matthew chapter 19. Then Peter answered and said, same story. See, 
We've left all and followed you. Therefore, what do we get? What do we get to have? Church, this is important. Peter chimes in. He probably shouldn't have said anything. He chimes in and says, look what we did. We did it. We gave everything. We've got to be saved. But Jesus knows what's going on in his heart. We'll pick it up now with what Jesus says in verse 29. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. Look at the motive. For my sake and the gospels. There's a motive. And the motive is simply that because God gave his son generously to us, that I will give not only my money, but my life. I will give whatever it is that God has called to me for the sake of Jesus, for what he's done for me, and for the sake of the gospel. I will advance the kingdom of God. My only motive is not to get anything, not even to feel good about it. My only motive is to give to Jesus and to give to the gospel's sake. Look at verse 30. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, Houses and brothers and mothers and children, lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. He says we get three things. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I know you're looking at this rich young ruler and you're thinking he's got to be into the kingdom. But I'm telling you, unless he believes in me, he won't make it to the kingdom. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. See, Jesus is dealing with motives because motives are important to the Lord. We don't give to get. We don't give to get. We give solely for the Lord's sake and to advance the kingdom. The heart of a disciple is to be a cheerful giver, to be a generous giver for Christ's sake. And he says you get three things back. You can't outgive the Lord. The first thing he says is you'll get back a hundredfold. Let me tell you what that means. I moved away from my family in Florida. And look what I got. Alyssa's my sister. That's right. (laughs) Amen. Let me tell you something. I gained you, and I gained you, and I gained you, and it's named Tag Sunday. Now I know your name. I was in gym, gym yesterday, and I'm, someone's going walking out. They came to the 830 service, and they were whispering to me as I'm, like, doing some kind of machine. I go to your church. I'm your sister. Great. <laughs> Look what I got, a hundredfold. All I did was give up a, a, a family, and I got the family of God. I got brothers and sisters, moms and dads. I just introduced, there's a, a woman by the name of Victoria. She's a Nigerian woman. She is my African mother, and I introduced her to someone who was new at the 830, and I said, this is my mom. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Lowe. Oh, no, no, no. She's my spiritual mom. You see, what Jesus is saying is that how much we gain. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you know this. I own two homes. I do. I own my home, and I own Zach's home. Now, I know Zach pays the mortgage, but as far as I'm concerned, it's my house. And I, his, my house is his house. Let me tell you something. I don't own two homes. I own hundreds of homes, because when I come to your house, I act as if I own it. Because I should. And you should. Let me tell you something. We got someone in our church. They called me. I've got some Marriott points. Would you like, you and your wife like to go away? I don't know if you know this. I own timeshare. I had no idea that I own timeshare, but I do. I don't know if you have this. I own several boats. I don't pay for one of them. And I just show up at the dock and one of you take me out. Let me tell you what I own because God has brought me into a network that I go without lack because I know that your possessions don't possess you, that you possess your possessions. Gang, we are only stewards of what God has given us. That's all we are. Take a look, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Take a look. Moreover, it's required in stewards. Whatever we got came from God. That one be found faithful. 
lady walked up to me after the first service. She goes, now you'll call before you come over, won't you? I love you guys. There's no, she has no mindset that I won't come. She just wants me to call before I do. Your house, your car, your bank account belongs to God. You're just a steward. That's all you are. Whether you believe it or not, it's heaven's truth. Now, he also promised something else. You get persecution. Someone say amen. Amen. (laughs) Because all the blessing without the battles will make us spoiled brat Christian children. Battles strengthen us and make us mature. But the greatest blessing that he says that we get is the third. We get eternal life. We get eternal life. I got a question. Are you going to walk away sad? The rich young ruler did. Is it safe for me to go to Costco this week? If it's not, one more Jesus word just for you. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He makes it like, are you serious? This is how Jesus, he's talking, he's like, are you serious? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you look at your life, can I see where your heart is? Andre and I were missionaries for years. We used to receive your rusty and moth-eaten clothes as a blessing. We would get containers, and people would give their old shoes. They would never wear them, but the missionary kids will. They would send their old clothes. Now, I'm not saying this is this church. This is a different church. We're not like this, I hope. But we would go through the things, and nobody would wear them. They spent all this money to send us their junk. It indicated where the heart was. Now, this isn't like a missionary guilt trip. All I'm trying to get across is, why would you lay up treasure on earth? Why would you hold on to your boat, your house, your car, and not say, God, it's yours? How would you like to use my life? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I come before you now as we take the time to remember you in communion, that you would help us to remember words sometimes that aren't even too comfortable for us. And I pray now in Jesus' name that you would help us to remember you with this word today. In Jesus' name. Our ushers are coming out, and we want to serve you communion. Because Jesus served the disciples' communion. And our prayer in everything that we do, as we serve, that maybe you will want to serve as well. And it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. It was the Seder meal, the Passover meal. And what the Lord did was that he he took the bread at the beginning of the meal... And he broke one piece in half and he hit it. This was the tradition of the Seder. And then later on in the meal, the youngest person in the room, they would go and find the broken piece of bread. They'd bring it to the host of the table. It was around the time of the cup of blessing, the cup of blessing, the third cup. And what the Lord would do in this Passover meal is that he would take the third cup, he would take the broken piece of bread, he would say, this is my body which is broken for you. As long as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he would take the cup of blessing and he would say, this is my blood which is shed for you. And as long as you drink it, remember me. 
When the rich young ruler heard the words of Jesus, he walked away sad. And I know there might be some even today. Wait a second. Don't touch my pocketbook. But Jesus isn't asking for your money. He's asking for you to surrender your life the way that he surrendered his for you. In our world today, there is a movement where you don't mention the cross or the broken body or the blood of Jesus. Here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we see the surrendered life of Christ. And our heart is to remember him. We don't want to walk away sad at the words of Jesus. We want to walk away challenged and praying, God, how can I fulfill what you're asking me to do? Look what you did for me. You see, the reason why Jesus said, remember me, he knows we're quick to forget. He knows that we're quick to forget the grace that he offers when we make a mistake. And he knows. He knows you. Because he knows you so well, I pray that he has spoken something to each one of you today so that you can remember him. So church, let's take the bread and let's remember the broken body of the Lord. Let's take the cup, the cup of the new covenant, his blood that was shed for us, and let's remember the Lord. Our Father, we remember you. We may struggle with some of the things that you have said, but we always boil down to the very fact you gave your life for us. By the power of your spirit, would you help us give our life to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.